Y'all right? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Lord. That's great testimonies, isn't it? Lord, do more. Uh, more uh, salvations for teenagers. Yeah, amen. And Go ahead. And anybody else who needs saved. You don't have to just be a teenager, but we're really excited when we see teens saved because, you know, you can mess your life up as, as a teenager, mess the rest of your life up if you're not careful. So it's great when the Lord can get a hold of you. He can make the rest of your life wonderful. Amen. But if you're an old person and you've messed your life up until now and you don't know the Lord, now's a good time to get saved. Spend the rest of your life loving Jesus. Amen. All righty. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to give you this message. I want to... First Chronicles 12:32. Let's look at First Chronicles 12:32, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go easy on you. I'm I'm not gonna go easy on you, but I promise you I won't yell any. <laughs> I'm not, man. I don't know why people think I yell when I preach. Cause I... Somebody told me last week because this thing was broke, it's better for me to have that other thing because I can control it better when you're yelling. I don't yell. Okay, First Chronicles twelve thirty-two. Good job, back there, Addison. All right, I wanted to read this scripture. Most of you probably know this scripture. It's been around a while, like for ever since we had the Bible. <laughs> But it has been a popular scripture, especially in, you know, prophetic-type circles. It says, Of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Their chiefs were 200, and all their kinsmen were at their command. So in, in the context here, this was the men, this is the tribes of Israel that was gathering around King David when he was fixing to be a set in king as king in Hebron. And this was the particular tribe called Issachar, and these men had a special gift from God called understanding the times and knowing what Israel should do. And I wanted to ask y'all, first of all, who would like that anointing? Raise your hand. If you would like to understand the times that you're living in, raise your hand. Hush! <laughs> it is a trick, but you should still want it. It's because it's a good thing to have. Anyways, um, especially in, in, well, I'm going to say, especially this year in our nation, okay, because if you uh, watch much uh, Christian television, which for some reason I like to watch Christian television these days because I've got multiple channels I can (laughs) be real quick. A lot of the Christian talk shows, there's lots of talk about the economy, okay, and, um, there's a real concern about our economy out there in the, in the Christian world. I mean, a real concern that the economy in the United States could really be headed for a major collapse, actually. And I actually heard one man who, who had a lot of credibility as a Christian. He was a Christian economist, and he had made some predictions over the years about the economy. Over several years, he had made these predictions and basically, he, was, he has been very accurate in his forecasting of the economy. I mean, I mean, like right on the money accurate. And he is basically forecasting that our, we are headed for a collapse in our economy if we, if we don't do something different as a nation. That we really are going to, and it's just inevitable. 
And so I really feel, you know, that's a really important... It's, it's important that the church come into revelation of the kingdom of heaven, to understand what God's doing, to understand the times we're living in so we will know what to do because ultimately God doesn't want us subject to the economy. Right. Now, that's just that's the truth. He wants us to bear our economy to be based in the kingdom, of kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that our economy is based from there, not based from here. Now, that's a, that's a huge stretch from where, you know, where we've been, but that's really where God wants, wants to bring us. So I think it's really critical that we begin to be men and women, uh, be a church, a people of God, who could really discern what's happening, you know, on, on those levels, on political levels. You know, and that's another thing. We have a, an election coming up that's critical to our nation. I mean, this really is a critical election. All elections are critical, but they seem to say that this one is very critical. And I heard Lou Engel talking last week, and Lou was saying... You know, ten years from now, we're going to look back at this election and we're going to say that was the election where the direction of our country was determined. You know, that was the election. You know, Lou Engel's big in the prayer movement and, and really, really praying. I mean, he's got a lot of credibility to be able to say that. So really what God has really been speaking to me on a personal level, a lot is about stewardship. Now, this, if you look in the Bible, stewardship is a very, in the New Testament, it's a really a big part of the New Testament. Especially, Paul uses that word abundantly in his writings. And so, you know, we all are, are and, and, and a lot of the times in, in, the, in the New Testament, the word administration, which is another word, is the same word as stewardship. Paul talks about a stewardship of the gospel given to him. You know, and he really sees that, that, you know, that God has given me something to steward. So what God has done is God has given every person some things to steward. Everybody in this room has something. One thing you and I have to steward is time. Okay, that's something God has given us to steward. Paul talks about redeeming the time. But every one of us, you know, we are given time. And God is really concerned about how we use our time. I'm talking about, I'm talking every day. Of our life, God is the, the little things, the casual time, the recreational time, the stuff that we don't necessarily consider as important. It's important to God. Okay, that how we use our time. We're stewards of our time. God's given us time, and He expects us to use it in a certain way. Another thing that God's given everybody that in what we traditionally think of stewardship in is money. It's, it, God's given us money, and He, in uh, the way we handle money, you know. I know you all know that the Bible talks a lot about money, like a bunch about money, like more about money than lots of, like, like lots of things. It talks about more about money than it does about being born again, actually. So you can see because of the abundance, God is not concerned about money. Money's no deal for God, you know, because the most precious stone we have is gold. It's the most precious element. God uses that as, as a... Paving stones. You know, that's how. That's what he thinks about money. He walks on it. You know, he don't care about it. Like I wipe my feet on on gold. So, but God's concerned about our hearts. Okay. Now it gets if it gets questionable when we begin to say that we belong to God and God says, "Great," because I want that twenty bucks in your pocket. I want you to hand it to the person next to you. You see what I'm saying? You know, that's really a lot of times where the rubber meets the road with us. 
is when God comes and demands something from us. Ask of the money. Ask of the time. But really He's asking what's already His. You know what I'm saying? God wants us to steward these things. He wants us to take care of these things. Also, He's given us gifts, abilities, talents. He's given us family. He's given us relationships. Relationships are really important to God. How we treat people. We had to steward relationships. Not only our close family, but friends. One of the great ways that the enemy wants, to, what the enemy wants to do in the church is bring a spirit of division in church. And that, that's how the enemy destroys churches. Jesus said, a house divided against itself can't stand. Abraham Lincoln didn't say that. I know probably you thought he was the one who came up with that. Most teenagers would tell you Abraham Lincoln said a house divided against itself wouldn't stand. He did quote that in one of his speeches during the Civil War. But Jesus is actually the one who came up with that thought. Uh, knowing that, you know, that, God, that the enemy, one of the ways the enemy destroys the work of God is through divisiveness. That's why in the Bible, Paul says, reject the divisive man after two, two warnings. I mean, he basically says, just read him. Forget him. Get away. I mean, you know, just leave him to God and you move on because cause divisiveness is so destructive. So we have to really realize that, you know, our relationships are very critical and key in, in the hour we're living in. And we need to pay attention to the relationships. So we pay attention to our money, our relationships, our time, our gifts and callings. Um, these are all important, important things and on the heart of the Lord for the church to begin to become real stewards of what God has given us. Because we will, we will be given account of those things. Now, I want, you to, I want to read Gen, uh, Genesis 49, 14 through 15. And this is where um, everybody said I was tricking you about the sons of Issachar. Because this is, this is the, uh, the, the, where Issachar came from. This is, Issachar was one of the Jacob's sons who, who made up the twelve tribes of Israel. Y'all know that, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, and those are the ones who made up, like, Judah. Everybody knows Judah, the line of the tribe of Judah. Well, guess whose brother? Judah had a brother named Issachar. By the way, Judah was one mean rascal. <laughs> if you study the life of Judah in the Old Testament, he was, he was a whipper, man. He whipped up on people. He wasn't like this great person we think he is. But, but what happened in, in Genesis 49... Uh, the dad, Jacob, was an old man fixing to die. And he went and blessed each of his children, put his hands on them and blessed them, and spoke words over them. Now, in the Hebrew culture, that was like the, the thing. What dad said went. What, if dad said, this is who you are, that's who you are. Okay, and so this, you know, he pronounced these things over each of his children, which I think is pretty, pretty powerful. But this is what he said about Issachar. He said, Issachar is a strong donkey. Okay? So if you want that spirit, you're a donkey. I'm not going to go no further with that one. But we could go a long ways with that. We could ride that donkey down into the ground. I mean, I mean literally ride it into the ground. And then Becky would be mad at me. <laughs> but he's a strong donkey lying down between the sheepfolds. Okay? Now that's really you know, interesting. The first thing, the lying down thing. Now I want you to get this. Now Issachar speaks of rest. Laying down speaks of coming to a place of rest. The sheepfolds actually speak of what? Sheepfolds. What? We're a sheepfold. In God's eyes, that's what He's looking at us today. Every little local church is a sheepfold. When He saw that a resting place was good, okay, 
So it's, so it's important for us to realize that, that God wants us to come into a, a place of rest spiritually. Now this is really key that we get it. If we're going to become like Issachar, the way into becoming, to, to receiving this gifting that he had, we have to really enter, fully enter into the rest that the Lord has for every Christian. And the reason being, the resting place was good and the land was pleasant. Okay? When he saw that, when he came into that, when that was real to him, he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens. Okay? See, once he came into that place of rest, he, be, he came into a place of work. Okay? That was the next thing that he, he did, was he began, he began to bear burdens. And don't get fooled here with this Old Testament language. Don't let it throw you. Became a slave at forced labor. So when we, what this is, this is really the thing. When the God began to speak to me about Issachar, he, he, I was really asking the Lord, "What do you have, Lord? What's, what's a real word for me?" This was last at the end of last year. He gave me this scripture about the sons of Issachar being able to understand the times and know what to do. Okay, which was I was sort of overjoyed for a very brief moment about, oh, well, that's what God's got for me. He's going to give me some revelation about the times and the wisdom to know what to do. Until the Lord said, basically, this, this is the Byron Wicker interpretation, not so fast, Sonny, you know, go and study Issachar. Because what the Lord was saying to me, He said, this, you're going to work harder this year than you ever have in your life. Okay, now that was not good news to me. I was thinking, this is really good news, understanding the times and knowing what to do. But this working harder than I ever have in my life is not good news. You may like to work, I don't. I'm just going to get that clear. I don't like to work, I'm lazy. I really am, I mean, I've always worked all my life, but, but I've realized that what God was speaking to me, and I believe what He's speaking to the church... Those of us who really believe that we really want to move in this gifting, we have to realize God's saying, yeah, I want you to move in it, but you know what? It means work. I'm calling the church into work now. It's time for us to go to work. In fact, somebody gave me a word. It was actually Victoria Vogels that I, that I ran across this week accidentally. And she said, the Lord gave me a... Uh, this was two years ago, this last month and the Lord gave me a word and the Lord said it's time to put on your October gloves that's what she said and October gloves are, har- are work gloves harvest gloves it's time to go to work and at the time I was thinking well what does that mean now I'm starting to really get more of an understanding of what she was saying God is calling the church he's, he's calling the body of Christ into a season of us coming in and beginning to do the works of God okay and that sounds glorious on one level but it's not glorious on another level, because it is us, God is going to use us, okay? He's going to use what we have. He's going to use what we'll allow Him to use, which may mean at times the body that you have is going to be tired from God using your poor body. You know, your poor body will be tired. Your, your poor bo- pocketbook may get wore out pulling it out every time God needs ten bucks for somebody, you know? Your gifting, you, your gifting is going to get used. If, if we will begin to allow the Lord uh, to do this, let me read what James said. This is really good. James 2.26, it says, Just as the body without the spirit is dead. In other words, if you're not born again, you're, you're dead, whether you realize it or not. You, you're, you're, you're dead. You're not alive. 
But when you're born again, you come alive. Now, that's, that's basic scripture. So he's using this analogy just as, you know, just like an unsaved person is dead because their spirit's not been made alive, so also faith without works is dead. Faith without works. In other words, and James went on to say, hey, listen, if you have faith, show it to me by your works. Now, he was not talking about works for salvation. Right. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about saved people, and James was saying, "Let me. I, this is the way I'm... You can't tell me you got faith. I want to see it. I want to see it in action. Faith is an action thing, and if you really have faith, you're going to be doing something. Bottom line, that's what he was trying to get across to the Christians. I remember two guys got, almost got in a fight in my front yard one time about this scripture. We've had some really interesting meetings in our life. One of them came in. He was terrorized because the other guy could really hurt you because he had, you know, he was a martial arts guy. And he's out there trying to, who's going to beat me up over this? Because they were arguing about this, and you know, we just y'all go on and take it on outside. If the meeting was over with, we was in there playing video games, and <laughs> we were real spiritual. But that's how far, you know. Yeah, it was Atari. Almost <laughs> dating me. <laughs> So, so God is calling us to do, to do works. Now, let me read First Peter two four through five. What I want to do now, this seems contradictory, okay? Because I'm, I'm what I'm trying to get to you to see. God wants to wants to work you, okay? Jesus said His burden is light, His yoke is easy. That's what Jesus said. But nevertheless, it is a burden. There's a burden for you and I to carry. A yoke. In the Bible, doesn't speak of something restful. It doesn't speak of laying under a tree. A yoke in the Bible was was when two, uh, you know, mules or oxen were plowing a field, and a yoke was something they put around their neck. It meant work. So Jesus was saying, that if you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to really be a follower, there's a there's a work part of it. You are expected to work. You are expected to to carry my burdens. I shared in the earlier service that in the old days. Back in the Atari days. <laughs> Actually, it was the people before the Atari days, but we were still playing Atari. Is they, would, you know, they would say, I'm carrying something. These would be the old preachers. I'm carrying something. Meaning that God had put something on them to share. They got that from the Old Testament, you know, when the tes- where it said the burden of the Lord came to Isaiah. It was literally something that was placed on a person. You can feel, if you'll pay attention spiritually, you can feel things. It is something that is given to you, that you're carrying, that you feel it. Um, so, it's, it's, but, but what, what I want to tell you this is, is I'm talking about that, but I, want, I believe God wants to break something off in us that gets on us when it comes to doing the works of God. And that's called how, H-O-W. How do I do what God's called me to do? You see, that's an unacceptable question with God. Because the how, the answer is God. And it's always God. Um, I remember hearing Roland Baker, Heidi Baker's husband, you know, over in Mozambique, where they talk about, he was talking about how difficult it is just to get through the day over there. I mean, just to live a day there. In other words, he, was, he gave an example. They ran out of copy, copy paper or for their printers. It was a major ordeal. It worked them to death to get print, print paper. I mean, and, and then there's thousands of starving people around them. 
Okay, I mean, we're talking thousands of people that are starving to death constantly that they are trying to minister to and feed. And, and you know, some, it gets overwhelming to them at times. And, and he would say, you know, how are we going to do this, Lord? How? And the Lord, you know, how's not the question? How's not the question? How could you do that? You can't. It's impossible. Who? Who's the question? You know, the Lord's going to do it. And let me tell you something. That, that sounds right, and it is right, and it's easy to stand here and say it, but I'll tell you, it is a very difficult life to walk to, to keep this thing before you saying who, not how. Because once you step into the how realm, you have stepped out of faith. You have stepped into, you're in trouble. You, you get in trouble. Because you start looking at what God's given you to do and you realize it's impossible, you can't do it, and you start getting discouragement in your heart. You start losing faith. Because you're, you're looking at it and you're looking at you and you realize there's just no way I can do this. I mean, and it's, it's impossible. But it's meant to be impossible and it's meant to be you, there's no way you can do it because we had to rely on God. So I think a lot of people get, out of, get, get sidetracked. I mean, I can, oh man, I can tell you one story or story. You're like, I don't even want to pray for somebody. Oh, I don't, you know, somebody come up and pray. I'm thinking, I don't want to pray for them. I can't do anything for this person. You know? I, I just don't even want to pray because here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, how am I going to help this person? How am I going to see God a breakthrough in their life? Because I'm asking how instead of like just trusting God to do what only God can do. And that's a simple little thing, but you know. You know, unless I'm really into the real flow, let's pray for so-and-so. I'm thinking, I want to pray for so-and-so. <laughs> I can't help so-and-so. That's some of the first thoughts that come into my mind. I had to reject those thoughts. Take them captive. Anyways, are you all with me? First Peter 2, 4 through 5. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but it's choice and precious in the sight of God. See, that's really important right there, choice and precious. That's what the Lord wants to reveal to the church. More how choice and precious the Lord Jesus is. Yeah. Now, that really is something on God's heart, is to re- reveal how precious and how wonderful the Lord Jesus is. Because once we begin to see that, everything changes. See, that's the God's secret weapon for the church. I'm convinced. I'm convinced in the end that is what's going to make the church a glorious church. If we are going to see, a, we're going to have a revelation of the Lord Himself, and everything will change from that point on. And God's beginning to reveal this person more and more. Um, you also. Now listen, I want you to get the you also part. He just talked about somebody who's choice and precious. In God's eyes, we're choice and precious. Now that's important for us to get that. Okay, and I'll just say it to you right Let me go ahead and say it to you right now. Well, let me read the rest. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Okay, a holy priesthood. Everybody say holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices, that's the labor that God's called this holy priesthood to do. Just like in the Old Testament, the priests did stuff. Did you know being a priest in the Old Testament was a nasty job? It was terrible. Can you imagine what those people smelt like when they got home after the day of work? I mean, after being, after gutting and cutting animals open all day and burning them. I mean, it was a very bloody, nasty job. It would be like working in a, a slaughterhouse in a third world country today. That was being a priest in the Old Testament. But fortunately, we don't have to do that. I thank the Lord. 
spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to just mention something briefly about the priesthood. Every Christian is called to be a priest. Every one of us. Okay? Here's the key for being a priest. Is realizing who you are as a son or a daughter. Because God does not use people who are not sons and daughters to be His priest. Now, every one of us are sons and daughters if you're saved. You're a child of God. The problem is, is the church is woefully lacking in the revelation of that. It, we really are. We really are lacking in this, this confidence that I'm a child of God. I'm, he's my father. I'm his son. Everybody in this room could say it, but I promise you, not many of us are really walking fully in that. It says in Hebrews 7:28. let me read this to you. This is so important for us to get this. Because if you don't get it, you're going to have difficulty in doing what God's called you to do. That's where the difficulty comes. Because there's an insecurity, there's a strife, there's all this stuff. There's competition, there's trying to do stuff you're not supposed to. That's where it all comes at, is not being settled on the sonship or the daughtership issue. You're not settled there. So you feel like you've got to do something. And you feel threatened because somebody else is doing it better than you. You know, it's like Andy. If I sang, Andy would feel threatened. <laughs> if, he, if I could sing and if he was suffering from not a good revelation of the Father it says the law appoints men as high priests who are weak that's the law but the word of the oath which is the new covenant which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever see that's how the new covenant God appoints sons and daughters to be his priests and so we're, he's trying to build up a priesthood in the earth who can do what priests do. They represent. And of course, the Lord himself is the high priest. Do y'all, do y'all see what I'm saying? This is very profoundly important. It's profoundly important that we allow the Holy Spirit, because he's the one who makes this uh, spirit of adoption, Abba Daddy, real in us. And, it, and, and I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. This is the truth. This is something He has to work at on us because our hearts are full of junk. Every person's heart's full of junk. They're full of lies. They're full of things that people have said to you or done to you that are hindrances. So the Spirit of Dawson has to work in those hearts. He has to go after that junk. And He keeps going after it and going after it and going after it to get it out of the way so that a spirit of adoption can flow through you and you become more, more convinced more convinced, more established as a son, therefore as a priest. Now that's really a key thing that the Holy Spirit does when the Holy Spirit gets released in a person's life. That's one of the areas. That's All right, let me read Ephesians 2, verse 6. Okay. I'm not going to be yelling, right? <laughs> It says, speaking of Christ, God raised us up with Him. When Jesus died on the cross and went to heaven, you know, ascended, you know, that's the ascension. Man, aren't you? This is exciting. This month is Easter. Okay, isn't that exciting? We're celebrating Easter. We're celebrating the resurrection. And one of the things that uh, I believe that God really wants to emphasize to the church is His covenant to us. Okay? If you, in fact, if you study Hebrews 12, I'll tell you this one more time. In Hebrews 12, there's a secret. There's eight things that are in heaven. Okay? 
There's eight things in the spiritual realm that tells us what they are, and one of them is the sprinkled blood. The sprinkled blood. The heaven has the blood sprinkled. Can think about it. That's pretty profound. That's right there in Hebrews 12. If you're interested in knowing what's in the, in the, in the spiritual realm, read Hebrews 12. It tells you. It's right there. I, I mean, it's incredible. But I was like, man, the blood's even, heaven even has the blood sprinkled. Even heaven. That's powerful. But, you know, I'm not going to get on that right now. But I do believe God really wants to give us more revelation on us. He raised us up and seated us. Jesus was ascended. It says He sat down at the right hand of the Father, right? Seated us. God seated you and I with Jesus when He was seated. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's where we're, we're at. He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every one of you, if you're born again, you are sitting in the heavenly places with Christ right this second. Period. That's where you are. It doesn't matter what your intellect tells you. It doesn't matter what your experience tells you. This is what this right here is the truth. What this says is the truth, and we are there. It's not just some theological point. It's real, and God wants wants uh, that to be real in our experience that we live our life. From there, now that's important that he seated us, because seat, being set down again speaks of, of, of coming to a place of rest in your life. And then Ephesians two ten is the next few verses after that. It says, "We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. God has created you and I for good works. We're being created to do good works." That's why Issachar lowered his shoulder to do a work. And that's why God is calling the church that He wants to put a spirit of Issachar on us. It's going to be revelatory. It's going to be those things, but it's also going to be a lower of our shoulders to bear the burdens of the Lord that He has in the earth today. Um, which, he, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. That's what God did. That's what, he's, that's what He's calling the church into now. He's calling us into doing the works of God. Being co-laborers with Christ. Yeah. Now this is the truth. This is what God's saying to us. He's called us to do Now for every person it may be a little different. Because each one of us have a personal calling, a personal relationship. But I did you know, share with you about the... I think I shared it one time about the the, the old co- the old uh, wilderness mindset where God, you know, had manna that just fell out of heaven. Just I mean, think about it. your food just falls out on the ground in front of you. That would be pretty nice. You didn't have to work for it. Just go pick it up and eat it. And there was a rock that they had that could be spoken to or hit on, and it would give water. And that was a lot of water. Uh, what three to four million people drink a lot of water, well, a lot of bass, you know. Tank car after tank car. I forget. I wish I could remember that. But an Army Corps engineer man one time figured out how many railroad cars of water and food it would take daily to feed that crowd, and it was a bunch. I mean, it was a huge train. It was a huge miracle that God did. But guess what happened? They cross over the Jordan. They get over there. No manna. No water from the rock. 
God just said, that's over with. Listen, that was just to sustain you. That was, that was to keep you alive. I don't want to just sustain you. I want to prosper you. I want to bring you into something more. So he said, here's some houses. Here's some poor sucker uh, Hittite planted this beautiful vineyard. Guess what? It's yours. Step into this vineyard. The works that were created for you. But you've got to take and cultivate that vineyard. You've got to grow it and, and, and let the fruit grow and pick the fruit and do whatever people do on vineyards. God has created a works for us. That's a picture of what He was doing. He created all this and He says, Here now, step into it, but it's not just going to fall out of heaven. You've got to work the vineyard. You've got to get up in the morning and hoe the ground. You've got to take care of the house that I've built for you. You know what I'm saying? Because he's saying, I want you not only to stay alive, I want to expand you. I want to prosper you. I want to make you great in the earth. Yeah. So, so those created good works that he's created for us are a lot like what he did. That was just an Old Testament picture. Okay? The houses, the vineyards, they were all pictures of the spiritual things that God has given us. But see, it's like, we're just like, oh, okay, you know, oh, you know. Nobody's going to ever get healed if somebody don't pray for them today. God don't do a whole lot of that. Okay, He does do that with Benny Hinn. <laughs> but He does it with worship. If you ever watch Benny Hinn, I know some people don't like Benny Hinn, but I'm sorry, people get healed, so you just have to get over it. <laughs> That's sort of my philosophy. I don't like Benny Hinn, Lord. Well, that's tough. I like him. <laughs> I'm healing people through that ministry. So why you got a deal, Byron? You know, I'm not making you go. But I know a guy who went who couldn't, didn't even believe. You know, like he thought he was a fake. This guy is a pastor today and was, had cancer and he was on his deathbed and his wife drug him to a thing and he got 100% healed. 100% healed. Isn't that wonderful? For a non-believer. I mean, he, believed, he was a believer, but he wasn't a believer in... Benny Hinn's ministry. But, so what Benny Hinn does, if you, ever, if you watch this guy, this is interesting. I, you know, I like to watch people and see how they do. I'm a watcher, by the way. I like to watch and you know, see what, what's going on. Really, the way this guy does it is through worship. See, he don't pray for people really until after God's already done it. He just sort of gets in on what God's doing. Because so, you'll notice when he is praying for the people, when they bring them up for testimony, he's like real, like keep, you know, the music will start dying and he'll, he'll stop and you know, worship. And it's because it's in that atmosphere of worship that God really does stuff. You know, so, you know, my point is, is God is looking for people that he can use. He's looking for your body. He's looking for your throat. He's looking for your eyes. He's looking for your money. He's looking for us to give all that to him. I'm telling you, he is. I'm not talking about giving it to the church. You don't have to give the money to the church. If you don't want to give the money to the church, don't. Please don't. We don't want money that people begrudgingly give. Give it out of a heart. But I'll tell you, God, when He bought you with a price, everything that you have should be His and He should have access to it whenever He wants it. He should have access to your thoughts. He should have access to your personal time. Which may mean He may get you up at the middle of the night. And say, I want access to your personal time, your sleep time. I'm going to die, Lord, if I don't get more sleep. Why are you doing this to me? Y'all hear me? 
So what we have to do, though, really what we have to be careful for is not try to figure out how to do it. Because when we do that, it takes us out. It really takes you out. I mean, I've been taken out by the enemy over the how. I mean, completely taken out. Well, I just can't do nothing because I'm trying to figure out how to do it. How am I going to do this? How am I, you know, how, 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 Lord? It's not how, I mean. And I think we'll probably spend a temptation, you know, being tempted to say how. But God wants to say who. But God also wants to say, I want to use you. I want to work through you. Are y'all going to do take over now? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Break the howls off. This morning during first service, um, I was soaking some during the worship because I was sort of tired. And but I've got this really clear picture. I, Byron never tells me what he's going to preach on, but I had this really clear picture, and it was um, I grew up at the there was the airport right by my house where I grew up, so I sort of know airport stuff. But um, I saw windsock, the airport windsock, and um, I was really sat there for a while, really asking the Lord what that was and I felt like he told me um, especially when Byron started preaching the message about the sons of Issachar being able to know the times so they would know what to do and I felt like the Lord said to me that wind sock discerns the wind is really what it's doing which is interesting for airplanes flight and all that so I really felt like the Lord wanted today to release discernment because that's really what the sons of Issachar had was discernment so they would know what to do. And um, so I just believe that's really what the Lord wants to fill us up. We be those wind socks that really know what to do so that when the time comes, that makes it where we can bend our shoulder to pick up the burdens of the Lord so we'll know what to pick up and what not to pick up. Uh, because there is, there are burdens. The Lord is calling us to pick up burdens, and um, and I really felt like the Lord reminded me because actually Andy shared about this some yesterday. Um, we had a school of worship yesterday for our worship people, and you know that's really what happened with the Good Samaritan. He was going along the road. He had discernment enough to know to stop and assist this man when the others didn't. So it's really important that we have discernment. So I just want to pray that over us. Lord, just release discernment. May we be like those wind socks, Lord, that are discerning the wind of Your Spirit, that we may see it and know what to do, Lord, so we may lend Yourself to Your purposes in the earth, Lord. We ask You for that, Lord. And this is, I thought this was good, Hebrews 14. It says, Solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern. Lord, we need our senses trained to discern. And we ask you for that today in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I wanted to say this. I was going to try to remember to say it while I was up here. I didn't. But uh, in the Word of God, okay, the Word of God, we can we can get, like, reading Paul, you can get impartation from reading Paul. You, you can get impartation from reading Peter. 
You can get re- impartation for reading John. You can get the, uh, some of the anointing and the thing that was on them can really, you can really, it can come into you. Okay? It can come into you. It can become part of your makeup because the Bible says the, the Word is alive. And it's, you know, sharpening your two-edged sword. It's something that's alive and that by faith we can receive it if we'll reach into it. There was a guy we knew. Paula knows him very well. Charles Defon. Remember him? Charles Defon had a tremendous, miraculous ministry. He still does. Uh, but he would tell you, he had a revelation in the Word. He would tell you, I haven't healed no. And we saw him heal people. We saw people that were, were healed. I mean, I mean, just genuine, real miracles. Not do- doctor certified because this was in Africa and they don't have doctors in Africa. It's like I heard Roland Bugger say people send him e- uh, emails like, well, how do you know, you know, let's, can we get a doctor to certify this? He's like, duh, there's no x-ray machines nowhere near where we live. You know, that's a stupid question to talk to people who are, who are ministering to people who are, you know, don't eat for weeks because there's no food. It's not that kind of stuff. But this guy's revelation was this. I don't heal. This is what the Bible says. Okay? The Word of God is what does it. You got that? Now, that's a revelation. Because we can quote Scriptures all day and nothing happened. But when we begin to walk in a revelation that the Word of, of, in the Scripture is so real that when we're reading it, it's coming into us. And the spirit that was on Paul can literally come into you. And you can, you can get some of the stuff that he had. The spirit that was on Peter. Okay? You can literally get it. I really believe that. That's what the Word does. It imparts its life. The life that was on Paul, which was the Spirit of God, is still alive today. And it's, that's one of the reasons we have the Word, is to pull that, pull that power out of it into our lives. And as you begin to apply this, this Word... You can really, you can really draw it into your life, but you do have to apply it. I really believe that you got to put it to work. But I'm, I'm convinced because it's happening. I'm telling you this because it's happening in my life, and I, I believe the days will come when we can, we can see major miracles happen because of what Jesus just healed a blind man. There it is, and I, and it's released. But you got to get, you know, you need to get that in your personal life. You need to be there to pull out the Word into your personal life. Yeah, and like that discernment thing, if you're on the golf tee, it's like throwing the grass up, you know, see which way the wind's blowing. That's really important before you hit a golf shot. You know, you got to know which way the wind's blowing. I just had a real quick testimony of an uh, example of what Byron was talking about. Um, two weeks ago, I was sitting up here on the floor, and I knew I was going to that healing conference, and I felt the Lord tell me, Email Randy Clark and ask him if you can get up and share about how God's using kids in healing. And so that was, you know, the thing God said to do. But then, and I, I went ahead and pursued it, but it ended up being a ton of work. I had to email him, and then I got there. I had to keep talking to all his people, and can you do this, can you do this? And I talked to him, can you do this? And he said, yeah. And then he said, no, not now, do it later. And I had to keep, you know... But God made it happen, and then afterwards I had all these people come up, and they wanted information, and they wanted me to pray for them, so I was praying in bathrooms and restaurants, and just, you know, and it was a lot of work, but God is, I'm sure there's a lot of people now that are going to go out and raise up kids to pray for healing, because God did that, so, um, and this morning we were in here, and um, in worship, and I felt like that song Brian Johnson sings, um, I'll, I'll go where I go and say what I say and pray what I pray. And I really felt like there's people in here, and God is either already or is going to speak to you about going places, praying things, or saying things. 
and that he really wants that surrender. He wants us to say, okay, God, I'll do it. I don't know how, I'll do it. And that he's going to make a way and he's going to really move some things in the kingdom by our obedience. So if you're, if you're struggling with that, that total surrender, just come up during the ministry time and people can pray for you for obedience. Okay, so anybody who's sick or whatever, and yeah, and Anne and uh, and and our ministry school gonna pray for healing over here in this corner. So if you need, if you got any sickness, any disease, cancer, whatever, God's gonna heal you this morning. I want our ministry team to come up now. See, Larry, that word you had was about what an iceberg. That that was a. Gl- yeah, it was it was blocking up. And see, I think that iceberg is the how. See, that's the how. That's why I wanted the clarification to come there. And so if you need the how broken off, which is probably just about all of us, but see, you know, you know who you are. This is like, there's something here. I'm not moving anywhere because I'm stuck at how. I want you to just come up here right now and by the Spirit. We need some ministry team people. Y'all come on up. Come on up, ministry team people. Um, God's going to break it off right now. I just had this. I want to show this quick little application for me personally. Right now, my wife is at home in bed with some complications early on in her pregnancy. He's already breaking it off. And I'm sitting here going, okay, Lord, I got four kids. We got seven months to go. How am I going to do this? And the Lord said, I'm going to do it. Not how are you going to do it. I'm going to. And it's like, all of a sudden, I just smiled. I was like, oh, that's, that's good. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to do it. Jesus, you're going to do it. You know, you're going to take care of it. You're going to take care of the kids and all the hubbub, you know. So go ahead and just get that release. Maybe like me, you've already got it. So that's good too. Be blessed. Just walk in it. You know, walk in it. Amen. We were at um, Mahesh and Bonnie Chapters Conference this last weekend, and this goes along with... um, what Larry was saying about dislodging. There was a little boy, and he couldn't hear. And they were, he was like eight or nine now, and they were teaching him sign language and everything because he couldn't hear. Well, one day he was out playing, he got bonked on the head. And two little pieces of Q-tip that must have got lodged in his ears when he was a child, little boy fell out, and his hearing was restored. So, if you're out here having a hard time hearing, too, maybe this goes along with the same word of getting bonked or being stuck. Um, Anyway, I don't know who that's for, but I just felt like I was supposed to share that. Amen. All right. So, come on up for prayer. If not, you can be dismissed, be blessed. God's going to do spectacular things, unusual things in our lives this week. Bring rest to